it's not so much like a pageant where you prance around in speedos and hope for the best. Hello and welcome to the Euro What, episode 186 for the week of March 13th, 2023. We are a pair of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest. I'm Mike McComb, and I'm joined today by Ben Smith. Hey Ben. Hey Mike. In this episode, we'll be talking about getting ready for Liverpool with our special guest, the current Mr. Gay England, David Allwood. How's it going, Ben? It's good. We are officially out of selection season. We've done it. Unfurl the banner, everybody. What's that? We still have a few more entries that haven't come out yet? That's standard. We'll get to them eventually. Yeah, it was kind of a busy week, like not just because of the flurry of end of selection season. Oh, we've got to get our papers in before the deadline. So many videos dropping on YouTube as we speak. There was also the whole ticket situation. The whole thing unfolded pretty much in between our last episode and this one. How was the ticket buying experience? I had a strategy session on Monday night with the people I was buying tickets with, and that proved to be a good thing. It was Ticketmaster, and I know how Ticketmaster works, and I'm like, well, there are going to be nine separate lines, and we need to get in three of them. What three lines are we getting in? I'm just thinking back to the times when you used to have to camp out in front of the box office the night before to get tickets. This week, I went to see a play, and it was a special thing through Harvard where if you ordered through this area, you got them free, but you had to pick them up the day of. So like, I popped over at lunchtime. I had the exact same thought. What was getting Eurovision tickets like before we had Ticketmaster or online ticketing? There may be a reason why it was everybody dressed in their finery as if they were going to the opera. It's, uh-huh. like, oh, it's probably more in the like that sort of uh, part of society where it's like, oh, I'm 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 not allowed. So. Yeah, yeah. And just like I have time to pop over during my lunch break and and hang out in the line for twenty minutes when it's a couple subway stops away. I do not have time to pop over to Liverpool. Tickets went fast the final sold out in about a half hour which that seems typical yeah that tracks all of the shows sold out in about an hour and a half which is kind of unheard of even the family shows and the shows formerly known as the jury shows that's gonna be a tough habit to break oh yeah no like (laughs) evening preview sounds like a weird euphemism to me yes like it's just gonna be like all of the understudies and like the fake maniskins uh (laughs) performing on (laughs) performing the songs yeah which is as a person who did succeed in getting evening preview tickets for the semis I better see real Karia. Yeah, it's just going to be a mop with a green bolero around it. Yeah, so what's he doing? I need need to see the little green man. You were able to get tickets? We had our one person in line for the grand final, and that was sort of the moonshot. We were not expecting it anywhere near the front of that line. That proved to be unsuccessful, but we did succeed in getting semifinal tickets. So, hooray! Yay! Those will be good shows. I unfortunately will not be able to make the trip to Eurovision this year, so I will be living vicariously through you. Get hype. Uh So, yeah, it's like, no pressure. <laughs> now that we are in the final stages of selection season, we have a handful of entries to go over. The first one that was released last week came from Switzerland. It is Remo Forer with the song Water Gun. I soldier, soldier. I don't want to have to play you. Turn around, no water guns, just body bags, 
Switzerland has said once again, boys do cry, but this time it's about war. Switzerland looked at the televote results last year, where their song did not get televotes for a message song, and is like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to send a message song again in a televote year. <laughs> the doubling down on that, I admire the courage behind mm-hmm. that. And I'm coming away from this one where it, it feels very well-intentioned, but kind of the same way that the Gal Gadot Imagine video was well-intentioned, but really misguided. Like, I don't know if this could have been more on the nose if they had released it on the anniversary of Russia invading Ukraine, which would have just been like, oh, we appreciate the thought, but really, like, it's it's like thoughtful thoughtlessness. My notes already have the phrase, read the room, Switzerland, and had they done that, it would have just, like, ratcheted that up to, like, a 13 out of 10. He's got a good voice. It's very a voice winner single. On a pedantic note, why is the song not called Water Guns? Yeah, that's been really bothering me and spell check on all of my notes. Yeah, this one... I feel like I need to sit with it, but I really don't want to. I don't know what Switzerland's plan is here. They announced that Sasha Jean-Baptiste has been booked to stage the performance. They've worked with her several times before, and that has worked in the past. I don't know. Maybe it could work with this one. She has material to work with here. There is more to work with than I think they had last year. So there is a step in that direction. But yeah, like sticking with what they did last year in a year where you need televotes to advance is a choice. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I look forward to seeing how it turns out. Happy International Women's Day on Wednesday, Mike, because we got two songs. Austria, we knew about this one, and we had heard the snippet, and we've been asking ourselves for many weeks, what the heck does Edgar Allan Poe have to do with any of this? Then, who the hell is Edgar showed up? What were your thoughts on this one, Mike? Going in, I had very low expectations. I mean, we've had the history of Azerbaijan with all of their uh, biopic type songs, question mark. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, is this going to be from that same brain trust? It is not. This is far exceeding those expectations. And I really love the ideas that are being presented in this song. I think there's a high degree of difficulty in how this is going to go over live. Yes. I have written down that this is a very high concept bop on my notes. It's hooky as heck. I also am very intrigued by the message they are sneaking into this song, the vegetables they are feeding us because they have covered them with enough cheese sauce. With every listen, I'm finding something new to be like, oh, that's a fun touch. The vocal precision that is going to be required when this is performed live and what they're going to do with the staging is going to be... That is the question I am left with with this song is not who the hell is Edgar, but how the hell are they staging this? I think the music video helps support the song and communicates even more ideas that the song isn't able to because like, you need those visual cues. But 
I'm worried that there's going to be a lot of leaning on the backing track, and I think that has the potential of hurting this. That is the main area that I'm like, how much of this needs to be backing track, and like, what is the main vocal performance going to be? From a staging perspective, the song and its video are so perfectly intertwined. This is a perfect web viral video sort of a deal. If this was not happening at the year of song contest and college humor was still a thing, I could see this being a college humor video. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised that it hasn't broken out of the Eurovision bubble yet in terms of virality. We still have time. Part of me is just like, okay, but like, I need them to go like full sexy Edgar Allan Poe Halloween costume. Yeah. (laughs) Alternately, if I do not see multiple Edgar Allan Poes on the floor of the Marks and Spencer arena, I will be mad. So you have your outfit sorted is what I'm hearing. Yes. (laughs) I'm working on it. I'm doing my best. This is a surprise from Austria, and I'm excited about this one. I am rooting for it, but I'm also just like, how are they going to do this? If they do pull it off, that's going to be a major coup, I think. Yes. This is one to watch, and I'm really excited about what the possibilities are going to be. I can see them really pushing it over the top with the stage pr- presentation. On the other hand, I can also see them completely sinking themselves if they if they do this wrong. It could just be a little too high concept. The one that immediately jumped to my mind was the Social Network song. They did what they could with that, but yeah, we've known that this has been in the ether for a while so they they've been planning this for a while yeah austria has been very excited about this one so hopefully they have like the full package figured out and we are only starting to see what they want us to see the other one that was released on international women's day came from israel it is noah carell with unicorn Noah Carell was the first act to be announced for Eurovision this year. This is pretty much bookending the entirety of selection season. What did you think of Unicorn? There's a lot of hooks happening. I'm not sure they're speaking to one another. And I hate the Telegraph dance break that just sort of abruptly stops the song. This is another one where they're like, hello, we saw Chanel last year. We're going to do that. My first note is, did ChatGPT write this, then run it through (laughs) Google Translate a zillion times, then rewrote whatever came out of that? Nothing is cohering lyrically. On Spotify, you can set it so that you can like read the lyrics as it's going through, kind of like a karaoke setup. That was a baffling experience. (laughs) I explicitly turned that off in in Spotify just because I listen to a lot of pop music and you shouldn't do that. I don't really know what the story of this song is. And I have a feeling that's putting too much work into listening Mm -hmm. to the songs. Like, I don't know if there's a story here. I am truly and sincerely baffled. So congratulations, Israel, on accomplishing that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, as far as the story of the video, from what I can tell, she's a unicorn, Mike. No, she's a centaur. Oh, good. I also have that note. That was my pedantic note for this song is like, she's a centaur in the video. Although she does do the like the thing with her hands of like the unicorn horn. That centaur graphic was just really upsetting. The video was very strange and similar to how there's a big pile of hooks that are there. We have just like a bunch of different music video setups that are there. Really, if you're not paying attention to the lyrics and absorbing it as sounds, I think it works that way. You could have it 
like kind of playing muffled in the background or something. I think it would absolutely work. But if you pay too close attention to it and really like it, the very minimal amount of attention, like it's just going to leave your head scratching. Okay, so it's like AI generated art in that if you look too long, you're like, wait a minute, that has six fingers on one of the hands. It's very competently made, but it does nothing for me. It, I tend to use the term Spotify playlist filler derisively. Mm-hmm. It, it's not meant to be paid attention to super tightly i really hope they don't try to do the centaur thing as part of their staging because i, I <laughs> it just kind of goes into like the body horror <laughs> part of my brain <laughs> so. please don't put that on a big screen at the arena i don't want to see it uh, so that happened uh. yes. yeah <laughs> it, it happened and it's there i hear touches of sia in like the overarching metaphor that doesn't entirely make sense there's some neta e bits too to mm-hmm. me yeah it shares a songwriter I didn't know that, but that makes so much sense. The dance break at the end just irritates me. It's not even integrated in subtly. It's just like, and now you're going to watch me dance. Like, it's very much that one SNL sketch with Kristen Wiig going, don't make me sing. She is a huge pop star in Israel. So Yeah, yeah. Like, I applaud the strategy here. But song-wise, I'm just like, okay, cool, fine. Next, please. We'll see how this ages. Uh, Yes. Maybe it just takes some time. The order that we got things debuting this week made for some nice mirroring because I feel like there's a lot of similarities between particularly the video for Israel and what the UK announced the next day. May Muller is representing the UK this year with I Wrote a Song. One fun thing that I like that you dug up as all this was coming out is that she is the nine-year-old girl in Mika's video for Grace Kelly. Yeah, that's just such a delightful little tidbit and like a weird connection with last year's Eurovision. Yes, like, I don't know what, if that that's, was just a coincidence. That's what like, pushed or, over the edge for yeah. me of like, okay, cool. She, she's been involved in music for a while, but the fact that we just saw Mika hosting last year and there's a connection there is, is just fun synchronicity. How do you feel about this one, Mike? I really like this one. My first note on this is that the double nil may have been the best thing to have happened to the UK because they have really snapped out of whatever 20-year funk they were in. This feels very current, but not so current. It's fun. I think it's going to go over really well live, like, or at least it's going to pop off in the Euro Club. I fully agree with you. The double nil was such a good thing because it got the UK talking to TAP Similar to last year for me, this feels like a normal song that they've sort of plucked out of, hey, this is coming out soon and going, this is also going to Eurovision. I appreciate that this is a different direction from Spaceman, because I feel like they could have had a lot of pressure to, well, that worked really well last year, let's do the same thing again. But this feels very in line with the sort of thing that comes out of the UK that I like. There's like a lot of Dua Lipa in this. There's a lot of Little Mix in this, which she toured with Little Mix, so that doesn't surprise me. Oh, okay. Yeah, apparently she has a little bit of a footprint in the US. I was not familiar with her prior to the announcement. I was trying to dig up any videos of her singing live and found that she performed on Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. Around last November, she is the featured vocalist on some sort of Electra Producers single that is just a genre of music that I don't really engage with a ton. So the one note I have is that I super dislike the rap at the bridge. It is just a little too much of like 
drag race contestant verse. Mm, I can understand why that would be thrown in to appeal to a particular segment of the audience. We'll uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> so. yeah. Like it, it knows that it's going to Eurovision. Unlike Israel, this one feels like it has sort of some natural dance breaks in there. I hate to compare the two, but this one also has a bunch of hooks, but they're talking to one another. They fit neatly in with one another. It also feels like it is, I mean, since it's like I wrote a song, it's like, okay, of course you're going to send something like that to Eurovision, but it's not, that's how you write a song. Like it's not so on the nose about that. She did not get a certificate from the Alexander Reback School of Songwriting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still waiting for mine. I think it got lost in the mail somewhere. But uh... <laughs> Also, this is not really a factor with Eurovision songs, but this has incredible Weird Al potential for something like I Had a Snack. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Just like the entire point of the song is you cheated on me, so I'm, I'm just completely destroying your life. What if you're just hangry? Like a hangry Lily Allen. Yeah. Yeah, there is like a little bit of Lily Allen in this, and I really appreciate it, too. I never fully understood the Rena rumors. People were like, it's going to be this song off of Hold the Girl. And I'm like, that is very much an album track, and I don't know how they're going to refashion it for Eurovision. A. B. She's at a level of success where it doesn't feel like she needs this. And also, C. She's in the new John Wick movie. She probably has to do a promo tour for that. She's not going to do Eurovision. She is at the level of her career where she's acting. Eurovision would definitely be at odds with that sort of career move. This feels like a much more logical choice, similar to Sam Ryder last year, of this is the next step up for somebody, who, and we're also just sending a great song. This is the second year in a row that it's felt like they've sent someone that's very media trained and is excited about this and is going to be just a good ambassador. So good on you, UK. The big event this weekend, well, one of a couple of big events in terms of the final selections of the season was Sweden and Melfest. In a result that certainly wasn't shocking to me, Tattoo has won, and it won the jury, although not with a clean sweep. The Oz got the first 12 points of the evening. Also, it was very nice to see Dale from Aussie Vision as the Aussie spokesperson. Hi, Dale. Hi, Dale. Congrats. Uh, but it also won the televote. Lorraine got 85 points, and oh boy, Paul Ray got one point, and I screeched in my apartment. That was so wild because he did surprisingly well. Well, I thought surprisingly well with the jury. And then to see the one point come in and be like, oh, what happened that there was that level of disconnect? And that was the true shock of, of the evening, I think. In terms of Melfest's recent history, the total points received by Loreen, 177, is the third highest in the current format. John Lundvik and Benjamin Ingrosso both got 181 points. How are we feeling about this one? Okay. Um, <laughs> that's how I'm feeling. Just deep sigh. Okay. Yes. Cause uh, like from where I'm sitting, when we were talking about the ESC 250, this was not what I meant when I said that I was glad that Lorene was out of the 250 top spot and that we could all vote for new things was not send Lorene with a new song so we can vote for that instead. I have a lot of problems. Like, I, okay. So the conclusion that I had yesterday after thinking about it for quite a while, I think this is a good choice for Eurovision. I think it is a terrible choice for Mel. Fest. And I don't mean the 
Melfest 2023 contest. I mean, Melfest as a product. I would not be surprised if a number of the competitors in this season who have been return competitors, if they just say they don't want to do this anymore and that there's kind of an exodus of this talent because it really feels like this year in particular, the thumb was so on the scale, it was just holding it down onto the table. The first three entries were putting the Met in Melody Festival in for me. Like, really, I think it was most telling when the points were being given out and Marcus and Martinus were receiving their points. It took a very long time to go from their points to giving Loreen her points. It was more than enough time to do the math and realize, oh, yeah, there's at least 80 points up for grabs. And Lorene's the only person who hasn't gotten points yet. So, uh, mm-hmm. like, you could see in their faces that they're just like, okay, we didn't win. And, like, I think part of that is just, like, they're young and haven't really had the opportunity to develop that kind of poker face that you're supposed to have in those sort of competitions. But I think it was also possibly genuine frustration. It's like, okay, we went through this entire process and this could have been internal selection and Mm -hmm. Sweden would have had the same result, you know? Could have been internal selection. Could have just been like a final of those 12 acts. Like, I don't understand why we needed all of the usual pomp and circumstance to get here. They had the one segment in the green room where they were kind of making fun of the idea of like, oh, all of these songwriters, they're having to run from table Mm -hmm. to table, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, that's not a good look, especially when you have Portugal later on. The way that Portugal does their process is they invite songwriters, they accept some public submissions, but they invite different songwriters for each song in the competition, of which there are 20 songs. And there's variety there. I think Sweden really needs to look at the diversity of their songwriting teams. Maybe they could just start with, you can only have one song per heat. If you have multiple songs in the same heat, like, it's like, what are you doing? We know the Swedish music industry has songwriters. If you only have like this pool of like six to 10 that you're just drawing all of your songs from, they're all going to sound the same. They're all going to like, it's it's just like bombast versus bombast. Yes. Okay. I'm so glad you called out that interstitial bit because I immediately had thoughts on it and could not put them into 240 character chunks in enough time for it to be relevant on Twitter. But it's great that you guys are joking about this, but this is also not a great look. I think they made the correct choice, especially looking at the odds. They had been at the top of the odds before they selected Lorene, and now they're probably going to firmly stay there. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like as a song, this is the same thing that we have generally yelled at Sweden for sending the last three to four years and have given them lots of jury points and not a ton of televote for. Yeah. Like from a narrative standpoint, it's cool that Lorene is back. From a narrative standpoint, it's cool that Ireland may no longer have the crown to having the most Eurovision wins. And I'm glad you brought up narrative because it's like, I don't think this was a really interesting narrative. Like for, no. for Melfest, it reminds me of the task on Taskmaster where it's like write a 10 word story while running. Carrie Godleman's story was just like, a girl wanted shoes. She got them. Like that was the story. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what this feels like. We're just like, okay, the person that everybody thought was going to win and run away with the competition won and ran away with the competition. It's just like, okay. okay. Mm-hmm. I have not liked any of the performances of this song. Yet It was reported earlier, the staging, uh, the, the Panini Press, which I'm so glad that that has become the common term for the staging. But Oh yeah, I, I'm delighted by that. Somebody in our mentions did call it the, the Lorini Press. Anyway, it was reported that the MS Arena might not be able to structurally support the current version 
of that. And I don't know how much of that is rumor mongering or if that is a legitimate concern. If it is a legitimate concern, I would not mind seeing the staging rethought because I don't think it's serving the song at all. If I had come in on Saturday night cold to that song, I would have been like, what's all the fuss about? This is really a mess. There was way too much fog slash sand. Like there were shots where you could not see anything. There was that. And I thought she was over singing the song. It was just kind of like, all right, I can understand like why Sweden would be into this. But it also just feels like such a step back from what Cornelia Jacobs was doing last year. Yes, it feels like a step back from what uh, recent Eurovision Song Contest winners have been doing musically. I don't feel the personal narrative of this song. No, I think there are way more interesting choices also in like the top five to top 10 of what's currently being discussed as potential winners. And I kind of hope one of them wins. And I think there's vulnerability there because Lorene did not sweep the juries. She did not sweep the jury. She did not sweep the televote. I think she's going to make it to the final. I I don't think there's going to be a problem there. But as of recording, they have not released the breakdown of how the televote points were distributed. There could be some very low marks somewhere Mm -hmm. in those eight groups. It does not feel as runaway a success as I think we are trying to make it seem like it is. I have a feeling we've lost almost everybody at this point who is listening to this, but it's just like, you know what? This is really giving me the same feeling I had about Arcade. I'm kind of just pre-exhausted about this entry for the rest of the season. (laughs) Yeah, it is like I am kind of fine with being a voice of dissent on this one. Like with Arcade, maybe my thoughts with it will come around, but like I'm just kind of tired of it right now. So that was Sweden. And then Portugal came in right afterwards. Oh, what a breath of fresh air did, did you watch any of portugal or were you kind of did you tap out i tapped out because i was just like okay cool the thing that we expected to happen happened i needed i need to break totally fair i would strongly recommend going back and watching portugal if you have like a, a spare hour or two uh you could skip all of well most actually no i was gonna say you could skip all of the interstitial stuff but there was some really good interstitial stuff too they had a group sing-along of hey jude but in portuguese that was a nice moment. It was like, okay, it's the like, final Beatles medley that we're going to have of selection season. And it was followed by Salvador Sobral doing a Beatles medley of some unexpected tracks. He's a good performer. So that, mm-hmm. that was really nice. They also did a Liverpool medley. I was eating dinner at the time, so I only caught the last half of it. But it was covering a lot of songs that you brought up during the Liverpool music episode. Ben would like this. I will definitely go seek that out. I know over the course of the season, anytime we got a Beatles medley, Eurovision tour was just like, can you please just do any other act from Liverpool? You could make a case for anybody going to Eurovision from all of the competitors. So that was great to see. And it was actually a really exciting voting sequence. They had the seven regions of Portugal doing their jury votes. It ended up in a tie between Afesta and Icorsao. If there's a tie, they both get 12 points. So it's like, oh, okay, these, this is going great. It goes into the televote and they reveal the first televote, the one point, and it goes to Icorsao. And everybody is just like, what? What happened here? It turns out there was a snafu on the scoreboard, which is, feels like it's like the fourth or fifth snafu this year yeah. of scoreboard stuff. My thinking was, oh, I wonder if this was a uh, incorrect Excel sorting. We meant that they're in first. That turned out to be the case. Icorosau did end up winning the televote. (laughs) 
do you think of this song? This one is an interesting parallel to Sweden because I feel like Lorene's song feels like kind of a little bit of a throwback to an earlier era of Eurovision, not that far away. And this one feels like a little bit of a throwback to what was happening in like 2008, 2009, but I'm not mad about it at all. feels a little bit more like it's leaning on sort of the folk music side of things at Eurovision than the pop side of things. That can kind of be Portugal's beat. I feel like every couple of years they send something that's more in that vein. Yeah, like they're definitely drawing on Portuguese music traditions. I think what I'm most excited about with this entry is how it's going to be a palate cleanser for the first half of the first semifinal because you've got all of those bands you also have norway in there it's just going to be a very loud first half i think this one is going to kind of cut through that in a really fun and delightful way i think this is going to be an interesting choice i i really enjoy the staging i think the dancing is great it feels palate cleansery but when we talk about the banquet that was semi-final one are we going to be focusing on like the big meaty dishes and not talk about that beautiful sorbet that we had between two and three that is totally fair once we get the running order then we'll have a much better sense of what portugal's chances are going to yeah because like my note is just like is this getting completely steamrolled in semi-final one on the other hand i feel like when we first started this program there there is an excel note somewhere where i talk about salvador sobral's entry just like well this is this is fun but it's gonna get completely curb stomped by everything else and mm. uh i was very wrong so <laughs> yep <laughs> It is perhaps the wrongest I've been on this show, and I've been very wrong. I think that was just in writing uh, when we were still blogging about it. But I think when we were talking about 2018's Portugal entry and comparing it to 2017, then it's like, yeah, oh, yeah that's that's where we outed you. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. like I don't, I've come to love that one, but yeah, it's, I'm intrigued to see where it lands in the lineup. It really, this was just a great way to end selection season. So many good performances. And one that I would really recommend seeking out is Barbara Tinoco's Good Night. The staging on that is so glorious and wonderful concept. It finished middle of the table, which is where I was expecting it to, do, to go. Like, I don't think that was one that got away from us. The staging might have carried it through at Eurovision, but I don't think the song was strong enough, especially in the, this year's first semifinal. But uh, we're also talking about other ones that we think got away from us during Eurovision season over on our Patreon. Yeah, if you head over to patreon.com slash Eurowhat. We'll be dropping that episode later on this week. It's a fun discussion. Uh, mm-hmm. We highlight five or six entries from all of selection season that were just like, ah, oh, this it would have been nice if this one got through. Well, you know what they say. The souls make sure no one loses the way. Hurt ones can stand seeing others in pain. Oh, I am too much on my plate and i save all the others because for me it's too Greece has finally released Victor Vernikos's What They Say. It did take them a little bit because there was like the whole injunction in, in court, but the court declined to enter that, so the entry is good to go. Yay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's about dang time. Victor Vernikos is the youngest artist to ever represent Greece at ESC. When I watched the entry earlier today, I did not realize that he was 16. I knew that he was 16, but then listening to the track, it was reminding me a little bit of Destiny's 2020 entry where my critique of that one was like oh it feels like she's singing a song that is for a singer that is older than she is that was my thinking on this one as well until i looked at the credits for the song and 
he is involved in almost every aspect of the song, the production, the songwriting, like like his name is in almost every single credit for the song. Like I think it was like one engineering credit that he was not part of. So like he is 100% this song. I'm glad that you looked at the credits because I had not realized that because like when I saw that the only place to view it first thing this morning was the Panic Records YouTube, I was very much expecting this to be just sort of like a copy paste of Cypress. And I was very pleasantly surprised at what we got. Given how drawn out Grease's very transparent process had been, I was fully expecting to just, again, be kind of tired of this. But this this surprised me in a good way. One of my notes, just to really bring it full circle to this episode, this is how you do a sad boy, Switzerland. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that that is fair. On my first listen, I was really kind of eh about it, but like I, I had to listen to it a few times before recording. Uh, one for prep for the episode, but then also to like to do the audio polls. And uh, like I did the thing that you suggested of listening to the track without watching the video and then like actually watching the video. I think this is one that will grow on me as the season goes on. Like, it really feels like it's kind of tapping into the same whatever it was that Snap was doing last year, where it could finish in 20th place, but end up being a massive worldwide hit. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if I felt this way about Snap last year, but it also hit me as having a lot of staging potential. Mm, Like, I do not suggest that they also build the full room set that they have to, like, very carefully time the camera angles on, but it feels like they could have some very dramatic moments, some big, like, wide-sweeping camera shots with this if they wanted to. This one I'm keeping an eye on. I'm not getting winter vibes from it, but Mm -hmm. they did great last year, so. I've generally liked the choices they've made, but yeah, like, they haven't necessarily resonated with with the full audience that comes to Eurovision. But yeah, this feels like a strong showing for them. And, I mean, it's it's so different from so much of the field that Mm -hmm. it's just like, oh, at, at least it's going to stand out, and I think stand out in a good way. Yes. Azerbaijan announced who their artists are going to be. It's going to be Terrell Turan X. They are twins, or as we have in our notes, all caps, twins! <laughs> it's like, it's been a while. We have not had a set of twins at Eurovision for a couple years now. Yeah. Was 2014 the last one? The Tom and Chevy sisters? Or I feel yeah, because like twi- twins with two eyes was before that. And like Jedward hasn't been since like 2010, 2011. Yeah. So, wow. It's almost 10 years. The press release for this was um, sparse, I'll say. <laughs> the only information they provided was they became one of the five shortlisted candidates. And since the day their candidate postcard was shared in social media and on YouTube, their popularity skyrocketed end of press release like they didn't even include the name of the song we did find out later that the name of the song is tell me more tell me more about me So what do you think of Azerbaijan's song? Okay, so I listened to it four times since it came out. And you know how seltzer vaguely has the flavor of what it's supposed to taste like on the can? Mm-hmm. Like this sort of vaguely tastes like 90s music, but it's all the parts of 90s music that I dislike. I totally get that. I was trying to carbon date it, and I think I landed on July 1998. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like... 
the teen pop wave has not fully crested on U.S. shores. It feels very Beatles-influenced, so possibly a little bit of Oasis in there as well, if we're sticking with the 90s metaphor. It's different from Azerbaijan. I don't recall them having a track of this style and earnestness. It was surprising in that way. And I do like that they have designated one of the twins as the hat twin so that we can tell them apart. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, because, like, they're not that identical. I I feel like we will be able to tell them apart uh, without accessories. Yes. (laughs) I don't don't know. Like, they're both wearing a trench coat and kind of a weird outfit in the video. I'm like, is this the same person? True. Yeah. They're not in the same shot until, like, halfway through the video. Was this, like, a Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen thing where they just, like, swap them out whenever? And then I just got weirdly irritated because I was trying to do the thing that we've talked about where I was going to listen to the song without watching the video and was sitting there going, okay, did I hit the play button? The second that it starts with like the fake answering machine opening. Have you heard Bo Burnham's Inside special and it's like little follow up dump of all the songs that didn't make it? Because there's an exquisite takedown of like the fake answering machine opening on one of his songs. That and then just the general all of the things about 90s music I hate. Just 10 things I hate about this song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I'm coming away from it as negatively. Yeah, but like, it's not even like a hard negative for me. It's just kind of there. I think one of the things that I do appreciate about it is Azerbaijan had that stretch where it felt like they had a song, they had a singer, they were completely different styles and genre, but hey, let's throw them together and let's see if they Let's just smash gel. the dolls together to make them kiss. Yes, I I like that this one is kind of organically like associated with uh, these singers. So I think that's going to help sell the performance a little bit. But granted, we've had less than 12 hours to sit with this one. So like first impression, eh, we'll give it a couple of weeks. And yeah, it's pleasant. It's different. I really need time to sit with this one because like I have really only had exposure to it for like literally an hour. And it's a Monday. It's right after daylight saving time. It, it's yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, like this was not the song that needed to come after daylight savings time in a very long oscars we're tired we're hangry it's the end of eurovision season like everything is working against this song at this moment in time yeah i I needed i needed like a a pick me up but luckily we have two more songs coming out yet this week to hopefully give us that little last end of eurovision season boost armenia's brunette will be releasing future lover on wednesday And Georgia has announced that they are releasing their song, Echo, on Thursday. We will catch up with Armenia and Georgia when we get to the second semifinal in our review series, which, hey, that kicks off next week. Yay! Before we close out selection season and head into our review series, we did have the opportunity to chat with David Allwood, who is currently Mr. Gay England and a huge Eurovision fan. David is a dance teacher and choreographer who runs Homo Parody, which is a queer collective that recreates iconic music videos and performs at live events all over the UK. We don't often have a chance to check in with how preparations are going with the host country, and this was a lovely opportunity to get a vibe check. Our conversation begins with David sharing his earliest memories of Eurovision. So I was introduced to Eurovision from my mum, primarily. She absolutely loved it. And it was really sweet. We used to sit with little scorecards. I think my dad kind of like enjoyed it (laughs) more than enjoyed it. 
I took it so seriously from a young age. I think it's probably the time they found out I was gay because I was scoring the dresses and, <laughs> and the performance and the style and all this kind of stuff. So I just, yeah, it's it's just, I love it. And I've always loved it. In my adult life, my best friend, Steve, he's also a huge fan. He always hosts these amazing parties and all that kind of thing. We just sit around and still have the scorecards. And yeah, we just love it. Every year is just a joy. My geekhood is growing more and more as I get older. This is the first time I've actually followed national finals. That is an experience. Like, I hear you guys talk about it on the podcast and I think, oh God, that sounds quite interesting, like for good or for bad. So this year I followed them and some of them are amazing. Some of them really are so impressive and others um, are an event. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, there we Yes. An acquired taste. Uh, yeah, that yes. might be a way to say it. So, so uh, which of the national finals did you really enjoy? So I'm loving Melody Festivalen. Uh, really enjoying that. I thought Finland was amazing. I really, I, I like the quality of the songs. I'm trying to think because I've had about four screens going at the same time. So at some points I'm watching performances and not even knowing what country I'm yeah. following we, we, at the we time. We have occasionally done the Panopticon and it is, it is. It's a lot. It can be fun, though, if you have the audio of one and the video of another, and it can sometimes <laughs> sync up in really delightful ways. So. Absolutely. So true. Iceland was fun. I just felt like there was a real positive. They just seemed so nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was happy with the result as well. So I thought Iceland was a really nice one. Yeah, okay. like there's a really nice community vibe to, to yeah. the Song of a Captain Final. It's a small island. I think there were approximately as many votes <clears throat> as there are people in Iceland. So just like wow. it's a very committed community. Yeah, they all watch it, apparently. like It's like 90 plus percent. Yeah, it's like 99% of Icelanders watch Eurovision. <laughs> it's it's crazy. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, have you been to actual Eurovision? I have, yes. Last year, we've been a member of the OGAE UK for a while. But last year, we were lucky enough to go to Turin. It was like I'd won a competition like the whole week was just wild we just had such a good time I've always wanted to go to Italy as a tourist and that was the first time so all of that amongst Eurovision was just spectacular the village was it was fun but we had a live show package So we were there on the sort of the off nights, as it were. And I was kind of hoping to see loads of like stars from Eurovision. But it was quite a lot of like local Italian music, which I think the Italians were loving, which is obviously great. But there wasn't anything that really stuck out there. But as a whole event, I mean, being in that arena for the live shows, it was incredible. I've watched the TV, like the televised version since it's totally different in the arena. There's things that people go crazy for, like Ranella, for example. And then you watch on TV and you go, ah, oh, I get it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's really different. Yeah, especially like when it comes to sound. Like there have been times where every performance is like, oh, this sounds great. I can't wait to see it on yeah. TV. It's like, oh, this did not sound <laughs> as good as I remember. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. The highlight in the arena was Spain. It really was. Yeah. Um, she just tore the place apart and everyone was just buzzing. And we were we were actually near quite a lot of Spanish fans. 
at the end she actually ran to where we were to thank them because she obviously felt their energy or whatever because that's what that's the thing the big five get that first kind of reaction when they're doing it because of not not doing the the semis same with sam Ryder. i mean to be sat as a uk fan in a eurovision and be proud (laughs) is a very new thing for me like uh, there's some that i did did love back in the day and I mean, I liked like Molly, Children of the Universe and Christine and the Waves. There's a few that I have really liked, but this one was great. It was so good. What is the mood in the UK right now as Eurovision prep is underway? It's so positive and it's really present. It's normally just all the kind of Eurovision nerds that are like excited about Eurovision coming up and trying to convince their friends that it is worth watching or whatever. But now it's on all the mainstream radio stations and TV, breakfast TV, and they're talking about it in a positive light. They're saying, you know, obviously we're we're hosting for Ukraine, which is a really special thing. And I feel confident that the UK and BBC will do that justice and will really kind of make sure their focus is Ukraine and we're kind of hosting their party, as it was put. The mood is, like I said, it's really positive. There's a lot of hype and it can't come quick enough. (laughs) (laughs) From our perspective, because we're totally outside of it, uh, it really does seem there's been a palpable kind of shift in public perception Mm. of Eurovision. I don't know if that's just a case of fan media or if there really has been that shift. I think there really has been. I think there is so much positivity now, even with things like Subwoofer, who was kind of back in the day would be the novelty act, the one that people would just laugh at and say, oh, this is um, ridiculous. People were loving it and things like that go viral now on TikTok and that kind of thing. So Eurovision has changed and it's moving with the times. And I think that is really important. If they had a Eurovision where it was a live orchestra, for example, the songs that would be presented would be completely different. And therefore the the sort of public attention might, might shift the other way, but they're not doing that. It's always so technologically advanced. They, they try a lot of things out, I think, for Eurovision to see if it works in major sporting events and things like that in terms of technology. If that keeps happening, then Eurovision always has a place, I think. Your title, is it Mr. Gay England, Mr. Gay Britain, which uh, <laughs> I know there's a different name for everything, so I want to make sure it's, it's yeah. the right title. No, to be honest, it's even more confusing. Basically, they, it used to be split into England, Wales, Scotland and all that. But the delegations from those places have said that because the final in the in the England one is quite big and the team behind it is quite established, they've kind of merged it all together. But they did that after I won Mr. Gay England. So my management say technically I am Mr. Gay Great Britain, but the title I won is Mr. Gay England. And I'm fine with either, to be honest. My title, it involves me being a spokesperson and a voice for our community. It's not so much like a pageant where you prance around in speedos and hope for the best kind of thing. I was tested. You have an exam to see how much you know about LGBT rights and legislation. And you also, you you well, it's up to you, but I launched a campaign to help people that suffer from loneliness within the LGBTQI plus community. And so it's a way of me hopefully doing some good in my community and being someone that people can 
I don't know about look up to <laughs> because that feels weird. Um, but yeah, that, I, that can represent them. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, well, fantastic. Will your role be interacting with Eurovision or any of the support activities that are going to be happening in Liverpool? I don't know why Graham Norton and Ryland are getting all the attention. Like, it's time for me. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> Do you get to hang out with them? That that sounds like that would be great. <laughs> I, I have hung out with Ryland and he's so nice, but... I run a queer dance company in London and we have so much planned in the lead up to Eurovision. We're called Homo Parody and we basically recreate a lot of, we parody things. So Eurovision is so perfect for us. The more I see, the more I'm like, right, I need to get between, like you were talking about a garbage compressor or like a sandwich maker and beelerine <laughs> is happening. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we'll definitely be doing things like that. And then in the lead up to Liverpool, there's always interviews and presenting and things like that that I'm getting into. So yeah, watch this space. Hopefully I'll be involved in some way. But to be honest, I'm so happy going up there as a fan because <laughs> that will t- it takes up all your time. Like yeah. no one speak mm-hmm. to me about anything other than Eurovision, like at the start of May, because I'm sure you guys agree. It just takes over everything, every thought. Yes, especially yeah. when you are in the host city. It's just like, okay, I might be able to fit a walking tour in, but uh, (laughs) that's definitely going to be a last minute consideration. Yeah. Or you do that from the Euro club to the arena. (laughs) Yes. That'll be the walking tour. (laughs) Are you guys going to be there? Mike will not be there this year. I am heading out and uh, we are teaming up with one of the other podcasts in terms of lodgings. But any recommendations for visitors to Liverpool? So Liverpool is a really cool city and it's a, a city that you can totally do by walking like that's what's so great about it the north of england in general is just so friendly and so welcoming i really do think that visitors are going to get a unique and an amazing experience the cavern club which is quite an iconic venue because of the beatles playing there i kind of thought it was going to be a bit more of a tourist trap kind of thing but you end up having a really great time there because they have a lot of live music everyone writes on the walls that go there so you see a lot of celebrities do that it's kind of a generic recommendation if I'm honest but it is actually something that lives up to the expectation so yeah it's definitely something I think people should check out if they go to Liverpool and there's a good gay scene as well I don't know if anyone if any of the listeners are interested there's a really good gay scene in Liverpool I was going to ask about that because when they were still deciding between Glasgow and Liverpool, mm. we were both looking into like what each of those cities had to offer. And mm-hmm. I know that Liverpool has really strong LGBT history. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, but on the tourist side of things, it seemed more gay tolerant than mm. like, gay positive. Mm. Or And I don't know yeah. if that was just like where I happened to be researching. And I know what you mean and why you might think that. And I think what's happened now is the ones that are still there are the really good ones. So mm. it looks like there's not a lot, but the ones that you go to are actually worth going to. So yeah, I would say obviously Manchester being so nearby with Canal Street, which is for me the best queer scene in the UK, Liverpool does hold its own and it's got some really, really great venues to check out. So yeah, I think you'd be surprised and it's definitely gay friendly. That's for sure. It's not something that you ha- you'd feel like you'd need to worry about that kind of thing. Oh, that's great to hear. So in terms of the Beatles stuff, on a lot of the national finals, <laughs> there's been like so many montages and 
unfortunate wigs and that sort of thing. <laughs> Has that been part of the UK presentation in the lead up to Eurovision, or do they at least recognize that more than the Beatles have happened in, in Liverpool? Yeah, I guess when the cities were narrowed down and it was Glasgow or Liverpool, there was a slight element of that, them playing up to that. But really, no, there's so much more, like you say. And and what's really great is that the UK coverage now is it's very Ukraine focused, but it's also Eurovision focused. And the Beatles, they're not intrinsically linked to Eurovision. So they're they're sort of going on the whole previous contestants and like Lulu and things like that for sure because of her connection but no it's not Beatles heavy and I I might eat my words when there's like a 10 minute medley of Beatles songs (laughs) but I really hope I'm wrong yeah (laughs) Yeah, taking bets on if Ringo shows up or not yeah yeah, 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 yes yeah I feel like I feel like we are leaning stronger towards Ringo than than Sir Paul showing up yeah well who knows I mean there's going to be a lot of sort of celebs and all that kind of thing that I'm sure will be be around but yeah I, I just don't know I think it's kind of that would be like one of the first thoughts and then you go is it a bit predictable can we do something else I do think there's going to be a lot of attention on Ukraine I really hope there is as well there's a dance audition at the moment for dancers in London but there's also a dance audition in Liverpool so they obviously don't just want UK dancers they want people that are actually from the place so that already means that they're concerned about things like that. They're not just throwing a show together. They're really thinking like, so people from Liverpool performing on stage is is important to them. And obviously with the ticket offer for displaced Ukrainians, which has come through, that's such a nice touch and it's so important. I think there's good signs, obviously, that it's going to be a good show. I think there are good signs. I don't know if you agree. Uh, yeah, I'm very yeah, totally. optimistic about it. My first Eurovision was in Ukraine in 2017. Mm. So mm. I'm really hopeful that there is that Ukrainian influence in there because yeah. they, they also know how to throw a party. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And they know how to do Eurovision as well. Yes. Like, the one thing that I, I do think is funny about this year is I remember like on your podcast and other podcasts, like a year ago, a lot of them were talking about how like people are co- copying Monoskin and trying to emulate their sound and all that kind of thing. You know, like it's like that that year wins. So everyone tries to do it again the following year. And this year there are a lot of bands and groups for sure, um, like male heavy bands. But the sound is of the Ukrainian one was so unique that it's not really been emulated at all. People aren't talking about that quite so much. And I don't know if it's because of Ukraine had a good entry, but it was also a show of solidarity that they won. Um, that means that the the song kind of came secondary to that and people aren't trying to emulate that sound. They're trying to find something different. But it's just something that I keep thinking about. It's not the same as people trying to copy the winner so much this time around. I think part of it is also Stephania was such a deeply personal song since it was about the the mother of one of the members of the group. Mm. And Mm. I think trying to get the ethnic touches in that are Mm. specific to whichever country is trying to put together that entry. I think that would be genuine, but like trying to make a photocopy of what Ukraine sent last year, I don't think that would work for anybody. Like, I don't even think it would work for Ukraine. I agree. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's that's definitely true. But yeah, it's always interesting to see sort of what entries, even if it's not the winning entry, sort of Mm. other nations go, oh, we want that. Like who was looking at Chanel because Chanel also did really well. Yeah, yeah. 
I was thinking there'll be a lot of Chanel's this year. And there is a lot of rock still. There's a lot of different mm-hmm. types of rock, but Sam Ryder and him doing well following Mon- Monoskin, I suppose there is kind of a link there. There's quite a lot of, of rock and bands this year. But yeah, we don't really have Chanel 2 yet, I would say. Some might say Norway is, but... Mm. Yeah, like, it, well, it, like we've got like a bunch of bands and it's like a couple years after Monoskin now. So maybe it's just mm. a couple year delay. Maybe, maybe, yeah. David, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Is there anything that uh, you'd like to plug or point our listeners to? Anyone that's listening, I can be contacted on mainly Instagram. So it's David underscore Allwood on there. And my group is Homo Parody, which is at Homo Parody. Um, so that's where you can kind of find out everything that I'm doing. And I'm on Twitter as well. But that's where I just voice all my opinions on how much I love Loreen and don't like Norway. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> it's that part of the season. I'm, I can't yeah. wait. I always do it with love. I never tear anyone to shreds or anything like that. It's it's just more of like an opinion of how I feel or what my what my preference is. You know, you can't like all 30 plus songs, I guess. Um, but there's so many I'm rooting for. I love France this year. Evita Mon, I think, is a great song. From the last 10 years, Italy has been my number one country. And I really hope he doesn't change it because that song brought me to tears during San Remo. But we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I'm I'm kind of... Like I said, I'm having a different experience this year because I'm following national finals. Sometimes it's better not to know what could have been in the competition. I pick up so many songs. I'm like, this is great. And this could have, this, especially if they come second. Yes, I know. So frustrating. But yeah, I, I'm kind of just looking forward to having all the songs so you can kind of get like a picture of what's going to happen. And the semifinals will be really interesting. So I'm just really excited. It should be a positive thing. I mean, there's been previously a lot of negativity around Eurovision, especially in the UK. And for me to hear that change is so nice. So I'm just looking forward to people enjoying the, the whole experience of the event. It's so much more than a TV show. It should be a lot of fun. We'll have links to David's socials and Homo Parody in the show notes. But for now, that's going to do it for this episode of the EuroWhat. Thanks for listening. The EuroWhat podcast is hosted by Michael Cohn. That's me and Ben Smith. That's me. You can find show notes, our socials, and all the info you need about Eurovision 2023 on our website at eurowhat.com. If you'd like to help support the show and access a ton of bonus content, head over to patreon.com slash eurowhat. Next time on the EuroWhat, we begin our in-depth review series of Semifinal 1 with special guest Justin Ladia.